This is the Thorn Podcast, Performance Edition, the show that navigates the complex world of sports science and explores the latest research on diet, nutritional supplements, and the human body. I'm Joel Totoro, Director of Sports Science at Thorn. As a reminder, statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Any products mentioned are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to the Thorn Podcast. Joining me today is Becky Twombly, a veteran sports dietitian with over 10 years of experience in sports nutrition. She's created nutrition programs at UCLA and University of Southern California while consulting in the NHL and WNBA. She's currently the team sports dietitian for the Los Angeles Angels and the Los Angeles Lakers. Becky, it's great to have you on. How's 2021 treating so far, 2021 has been pretty good. Um, thanks for having me, Joel. This is pretty exciting to get to, uh, you know, spend spend some time chatting with you. Yeah, I think our listeners can learn quite a bit from you. So actually, let's just jump right into it. So I think uh, one of the unique things about you and I and our, our relationship over years, we kind of bonded over the fact that we both started in the hospital setting. Can you explain a little bit to our listeners about what medical nutrition therapy is and, and how that translates to sports performance? Yes. Um, yes, we definitely bonded over being nerds. So medical nutrition therapy is a really important component of being a sports dietitian. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand the difference between dietitian and nutritionist. Um, a dietitian is an allied healthcare professional that's similar to like a physical therapist, which a nutritionist doesn't technically have any licensure or any accreditation. So when you work with a registered dietitian, you're working with a medical professional and you bring and they bring with them the whole backing and the support of a physician of, you know, a whole medical team that's going to be able to work with them. So medical nutrition therapy is guided by the team physician. So, you know, a diagnosis would be given. So whether somebody has diabetes or heart disease or, you know, some medical condition or whether it's a sports injury like you know, delayed onset muscle soreness, that the team physician can go about their medical protocols and the dietitian fits into that um, so that we're all working together to create a very evidence-based um, nutrition protocol that's going to get results. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions you learn when you work in sports is that, you know, fit doesn't necessarily translate to healthy, yeah. right? So we are, everyone's dealing with you know, a bunch of different things. And that's our job to kind of take an inventory of treating the, the foundational human as well as promoting performance. But that's actually a perfect segue into our topic today, which is fueling athletes during the age of social distancing and quarantine that comes with COVID-19. Now, obviously you had a, a bigger challenge than a lot of us, you know, handling two concurrent teams in COVID, but with the safety protocols and the science changing kind of daily, how were how you able to adjust your program to meet the needs of your athletes? The COVID protocols actually were really interesting. And I have to back up a little bit on, on that question and just say like, you know, so I've been doing this job now for, you know, between 12 and 15 years, you know, 15 years as being involved, but 12 years, like really being involved, you know, hands on and being in the, in the locker rooms and in the clubhouses. And um, so I felt like I pretty much knew how to do my job until all of this hit. You know, and so this was just, while it was really challenging, it was also very exciting to, you know, get to learn on a day-to-day -day basis and have to really root in with your teammates, you know, the support staff on both, in both organizations that I worked with, whether it was the Lakers or whether it was the Angels, that was such an incredible experience to really 
bond together and figure out how can we get this done with so many restrictions. And so, you know, if we talk about COVID protocols, I mean, when you talk about feeding, the biggest issue is that you have to remove your mask to eat. And that's the biggest way to spread this disease. And so when you're face-to-face without a mask on and, you know, potentially virus could be flying everywhere, how are you going to feed 60 people three times a day in a clubhouse? You know, and so our normal way of living was really, you know, thrown up in the air. Typically in a normal year, we have three meals a day in the clubhouse. They're all buffet style. There's always a chef that's preparing to order in addition to a nice buffet line with multiple protein choices, multiple carbohydrate choices, multiple antioxidant options. And it really had to be pared down to for the safety of the athletes. And so now all of that had to be put into a container that would be an individual serving for one person. And so guessing and trying to get to know what these athletes really wanted and getting into their heads about what they would eat and what they wouldn't eat, I got to know them better than I've ever gotten to know athletes. (laughs) So if I walked into Chipotle today, I could probably order for all 60 people in the Angels organization based on what they ate during that COVID experience. The Lakers, I guess I should mention, their chef that they have is unreal good. She was able to make meals for, their travel party's much smaller, the travel party was about 30 people. She was able to make meals for each of them individually based off of an order sheet. They could pick what they want. She was working in this kitchen that where she had almost no resources in Orlando, and she was able to make small miracles happen every day. <laughs> so I was really grateful for her and all of her expertise. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit, like you mentioned, uh, you went from, you know, day to day, face to face, kind of real personal interactions to supporting athletes from a distance. What were some of the changes and and maybe some learnings that you've learned of how to coach an athlete and how to really deliver that message and and stay relevant uh, without the face to face interaction? Well, you know, relationships have always been really important in guiding athletes and how to eat. You know, it's like religion and politics and food are kind of, they all stick together as, you know, it's tough to change people's opinion on any of those things. And so, you know, relationship building has always been key to my practice. However, now when the, when the team went to the bubble, we actually had two athletes that I'd never even worked with before because we made a trade right before they left. And then um, we had one athlete opt out. So we got to fill that roster spot. So there were two people that I had never even met and talked to in person. And then now all of a sudden I'm supposed to work with them virtually. And that was a huge challenge. So the biggest thing that I learned is that, you know, you have to go back to nobody cares what you know, unless they know that you care. So, you know, talking to them about stuff that wasn't nutrition related, you know, how are you doing? How do you feel in the bubble? Do you miss your family? How are your kids doing about with all of this? You know, like what, all of those things, and you start to kind of build a rapport and a relationship, and then you can watch the games. You know, I was able to watch practice or games. They could FaceTime me in, or I could, you know, see what was going on and say, hey, like, I noticed that you're getting really tired during this, and I know that you haven't been able to train the way that you would normally train. So what are some things that I can do to help you with that? And all of a sudden, that's where you start to get that buy-in and where you're working towards a, a common goal. You know, and going back to the medical nutrition therapy, you know, everybody wants to say, hey, you know, what's your opinion about this? You know, and I'm always like, 
I don't really have an opinion, I just have facts. So I know what the science says and we can work off of what the science says and then you can tell me how you're you're reacting to that. You know, and so a lot of times, you know, people immediately will jump to and especially when they got into the bubble, one of the things that we dealt with kind of more systemically with the staff and the team was that because training had been such so low, everybody felt as though they needed to jump back into shape. And one of the things that they did to jump back into shape was to limit carbohydrate intake, um, where that's the exact opposite of what they needed to do. We needed the carbohydrate in order to be able to fuel that recovery and fuel that muscle growth and fuel that the, all of their energy systems. So educating the, on the importance of carbohydrate in basketball was huge. So we did that. That was a focus for a couple weeks. And then we really talked about you know rebuilding tissue and the, and the importance of recovery nutrition. And by the time the game started, I actually felt like the guys were in a pretty good routine, you know, working with Sandra, the chef down there, she was, I would just, you know, give her my comments of what I thought everybody needed to be eating and what I was seeing kind of more on a systemic team level. And then she would adjust the menus and the portion sizes because they're all in individual containers. And it was awesome teamwork. She just, she killed it. She got, I, I could tell her what the science was and she could make it taste good. So it worked out pretty well. So one of the things I know, not necessarily struggle with, but it's it's always a challenge or a learning curve for athletes to get them to understand the wellness side of the sport, right? You know, everyone's focused on, I want to, you know, recover immediately. I want to get stronger, bigger, faster, but not realizing how much of a toll, you know, participating in sports takes on the body. Did you see, because of COVID, did you see a increased player focus on the things we preach all the time, you know, the general wellness, the nutrient status, rest and recovery. Did you see a kind of a, a change in interest from the athletes that made, made it a little bit easier for you to do part of your job, ironically? I, I guess the short answer is yes. And the longer answer is I'm really interested to see what happens this next season. You know, we focused so much on habits la like two years ago, we focused a ton on habits. So before, and this is um, more specifically with the angels, you know, in baseball, everything is very routine. And there's a, the process that everybody goes through on a daily basis becomes a part of their lifestyle. And so what we wanted to do is add a layer of nutrition onto that process, whether that's lifting, whether that's preparation for the game, whether that's in-game, you know, all that sort of thing. So we really focused on that. So coming into last year with COVID and all these protocols, the groundwork was laid for all of those habits to be in the right spot. And the unique thing was that now I was in control of all of those, of all of the food. I had to hand it to them. Like there wasn't an option for them to go pick their own stuff. It was all in a container ready for them. So things like beet juice or ginger shots or turmeric or getting enough protein after they trained or when they lifted, that was all in my control because I got to hand it to them or put it in their lockers. And if it was in their locker, then they took it, you know? So we created sweet uh, in the suite level of the stadium. Each athlete had their own suite. So it was kind of like their apartment for the season. So they could go up and eat socially distant and have their own space. And it worked out very, very nicely. But that allowed for me to understand what, what snacks they wanted to eat, discuss with the medical team about what they needed from a medical standpoint or the strength coaches from a strength standpoint. And we could put the supplements and the foods that they needed 
right there for them. <laughs> and then we also had down in the clubhouse, we had the hot box and the snacks and, you know, the blender and stuff like that so that we could make smoothies and get them their food. It was a, it was a kind of organized chaos, but it was really nice to be able to be in control of those habits. So now as we move into this next season and they're going to have a little bit more freedom, I'm really interested to find out how those habits are going to settle in and kind of what we, what we actually educated and what was forced. <laughs> I think a lot of our listeners are, are probably realizing for the first time potentially that how much goes into supporting athletes, right? You know, we see them during the games, but forget how much goes into the preparation for those games. So how do you explain the differences between, you know, a relatively small roster like NBA to supporting an entire organization in Major League Baseball where you have them from rookie ball all the way through retirement? Like what are the different challenges and, and what are the commonalities you see between kind of supporting two completely different sports, both, you know, obviously in general, but maybe even some some COVID learnings? Well, the common the common threads there are that we're trying to do the same thing with all of the athletes. So whether it's a giant roster or whether it's only the 17 guys that are on an NBA roster, you're still trying to make sure that they're fueled prior to their try prior to their training, that they have the energy that they need in order to perform and recover, that they have the nutrients that they need to rebuild after they're done training and that they can get back to being strong and their optimal performance by the next game. And then also that we're putting in a layer of protection to make sure that their careers are going to be long and that we're going to be able to help them to have the endurance to get that final free agent contract. You know, I mean, if you ask an athlete, they're all about winning. They're all about that moment, that you know, that team, that game, you know, it doesn't matter about my career later. I just want to focus on this. My job is to win. And that's what I'm really driven to do. It's the support staff's job to make sure that they're going to be resilient enough to do that for as long as possible. And so that's really where, you know, where our jobs come in is to make sure not only that they're ready to perform that day, but also that they'll have a nice long career. So with the, with the basketball guys, it's a little bit easier because there's only 17 of them. And so you can really handhold them through that process. With the baseball players, um, you know, the, from, like you said, rookie ball, the Dominican leagues, the, you know, whether it's fall ball or whether it's spring training or champs camp or instructs, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on throughout the whole year. And so we need to teach them how to take care of themselves and have those habits and to continue that process without me physically being there. And so there's a lot of education that goes on and there's a lot of a lot more how <laughs> with the baseball players. How do you do this? How are you going to find this? A lot of grocery store tours and cooking classes and you know Instagram posts and all of that sort of thing. But then both the basketball and the baseball need to understand the why because none of them are going to execute the how unless they understand the why and how that's going to be beneficial to them. For sure. And I think uh, I want to circle back a little bit on something you touched about earlier. So, so much of the team sport is the family aspect of a team. And, and we, I mean, there's just so much time spent together. So how have you seen kind of in COVID the role change maybe of the support staff of the teammates in kind of from a mental health perspective, as far as kind of, you know, replacing some of the, some of the role of family and friends would play, how me mental health was managed in, in COVID and quarantining, especially within a bubble. Well, in the bubble, uh, it was a lot. It was a lot more challenging. I mean, those guys were stressed beyond what normal stress should be, and I don't pretend to understand what they all went through. But 
being able to, you know, being on the performance calls and being able performance team calls and being able to chat with the athletes, being away from family is something that is really, really hard. You know, there's, it's hard to be our authentic self when you're not around a family member. (laughs) So that was challenging. Um, I know that in the bubble, because I wasn't there, I didn't get to experience it, but I've gotten to hear their stories of how close they all got and how they became each other's families. And, you know, they just picked each other up, you know, whether it was, you know, folding the laundry or whether it was packing the trunks to take over to the arena. I mean, it was just all hands on deck and they all did what they needed to do, which was really cool to hear. I'm a little bit jealous that I didn't get to be a part of that. You know, I think I always have a fear of missing out on those things. Uh, Relationships are important to me. So it was really cool, though, to see my teammates get so close and, you know, just made winning that much more special. I think we do. Uh, we do need to stop and give you a little congratulations on supporting the <laughs> NBA you. championship. Yeah, LA Lakers. You know, it's a. It was a very anticlimactic win for me because the family is so important that you know winning and watching the team win while I was sitting on my couch in Redondo Beach was disappointing. You know, you just want to hug hug everybody and tell them congratulations and all the work that goes into it. You just, I'm so proud of that staff and of those players. I mean, what a What an incredible win and what an incredible year it was. Um, Meanwhile, I was sitting on my couch cheering. So (laughs) that was interesting. So I think I think uh, you mentioned a little bit and I think a great way to kind of end this segment is uh, you talked a little bit about habits you hope stick. What are some of the learnings or adjustments to COVID that you, you know, think uh, are here to stay and things you want to want to see stick around? I hope we taught people what correct portion size was. Energy balance is something that is the most foundational part of fueling, yet it's also the least scientific. You know, it's so individualized that it's hard to create individual recommendation based off of these really broad studies that are full population studies. So I hope that that stuck. I hope that sticks. I also hope that the quality of the of the foods that they ate during that time, I hope we created some foods that they'll reach for, you know, and change some of what some of their comfort foods are. Because the quality of their snacking was much, much better this year than it was in years past. All right. We're going to have to take a short break. And when we get back, we're going to get in some questions for you from our listeners. Tired of counting sheep every night? Get the support you need with Thorn. Start by taking a sleep quiz at Thorn.com. Whether you're jet lagged, sleep deprived, working the night shift, or just totally stressed out, Thorn Sleep Quiz will help you find your ideal sleep solution. Get the sleep you've always dreamed about with products like Thorn's Meloton 3, a formula that supports healthy sleep cycles and better morning. Visit thorn.com and explore a full range of health solutions formulated for your body, your health, and your life. That's T-H-O-R-N-E dot com. And we're back. Becky, let's get into some of the questions from our audience. Awesome. Uh, So one of our listeners wants to know, given the limitations of staffing, how did that change how athletes were able to be taken care of? Uh, This is an awesome question. With the Angels, based on the tiering systems, we had to decrease our staffing by a little bit more than half. So when you think about like clubhouse operations and who does the laundry and who cleans the cleats and, you know, gets the balls muddy and all of that sort of thing that was really decreased. So 
we had to really dig deep and everybody kind of took on another role. So rather than just being the team sports dietitian, I was also the food service manager and also the server. (laughs) So I was blessed with some additional jobs in order to just make the season happen. So our athletic trainers had to do the same thing. Like we have two athletic trainers, we have two physical therapists, and all four of them not only did their jobs, but also did the jobs of the clubhouse manager in their area. They had to figure out ways to get, you know, something as simple as ice, right? So ice for ice baths. We couldn't use the ice that was in the stadium because of the tiering system Tier one and tier two individuals could only go certain places in the stadium and you couldn't cross paths with people who weren't being tested. The ice machines were outside of that area. So we had to come up with something that was different, you know, and it was just, okay, how do we get ice? You know, simple, simple tasks that have always just existed had to be completely redone and protocols changed. So that was really interesting. It was so special to be able to work with a team of people who just was selfless and humble and did the job that needed to be done. So whether it was making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or we had to we had to put our creatine supplements into individual packages, individual doses with lids so that they so that we didn't have athletes, you know, dipping their hands into the jars. And whether it was a strength coach or the clubhouse manager or the athletic trainer or sometimes the psychologist, like they all came to help me and it was just really special to be able to see that. That's awesome. And, you know, uh, again, a silver lining that came out of all of this, right? Yeah. Definitely some some increased teamwork there for sure. Did you personally know many athletes who had COVID? We were, so the Angels took this very, very seriously. Joe Madden's an incredible leader. And I think everybody knows that already, but to be able to watch him lead through something like a pandemic was phenomenal. So really the only positives that we had were before the season started. So before we went into spring training 2.0 and we did have, you know, a handful of guys that tested positive as they came into spring training 2.0. And so they were quarantined into the hotels. They had a hotel room. So we dropped off food outside their doors Um, I was kind of like, it was like a recon mission. I kind of enjoyed it where I got to ding dong ditch like I was in junior high. Um, You know, put the food at their doorstep, knock and run away really fast. So they still, you know, our strength coaches would zoom in with them and they would do workouts. You know, we we dropped off equipment outside their doors. We dropped off food outside their doors. Um, We were really lucky in that most of the athletes didn't have symptoms Um, When they were sick, we did have a few that did have symptoms and getting them to regain their energy and getting them to regain the muscle and watching them transition to full participation and, you know, hoping that that we were doing everything that we could to prevent any soft tissue injuries from occurring um, was really a challenge, but it, it all worked out really nicely. All right. So you kind of touched a little bit on these next two questions, but I want to kind of ask your opinion globally, talking to your fellow colleagues in the in different sports. Do you think as a whole pro athletes are being kind of leaning towards the over the top extra safe or do you think some of them are kind of taking unnecessary risks? Well, we all know about the stories where people took unnecessary risks. Those are not any on any of the teams that I've worked with. And I really believe that leadership trickles down. And so Mm -hmm. it starts at the top. There is an incredible culture uh, brewing with the angels where there was not a person that wasn't wearing a mask. There was not a person that was, you know, doing that was going out 
to do anything. I mean, everyone's hair was terrible because nobody even went to go get haircuts. <laughs> you know, it's like was the bond between those guys to make sure that they were doing the right thing was really, really tight. Mm -hmm. And that started from the top. It was from our the best players on our team, the veterans on our team, the new guys on our team, like they just really embraced the whole challenge. And so that was really cool to see. Same thing with the Lakers. I know that there were a little bit more challenges with uh, getting them to wear masks just because the sport is so much different. You know, like baseball wearing a mask isn't so invasive. Uh, basketball wearing a mask is pretty tough. So the start of that was a little bit challenging, but especially as the science came out, to show the importance of wearing a mask, then, you know, everybody was right, bought on board. The biggest difference and like, you know, so my kids are in high school and they're trying to play sports and go back to dance and all of these things. And the biggest difference really is the testing and the resources. The MLB was amazing in that they converted all of their uh, PED testing to COVID testing so that we were all in-house. We weren't taking public resources in order to do the, the amount of testing that we needed to do. Um, so that was really huge. And then the NBA, same type of a thing, like they contracted and they got, they, they made it so that the athletes could be tested every day. And by knowing, by testing every day, by having protocols where everybody's following and wearing masks and by, you know, really buying in that it's their body, like their body is their business. Like if their body doesn't, doesn't work well and they have these lasting effects from having COVID, their career ends, like that's a huge impact. Um, and so not only did they want to do it for themselves, but also, you know, for the mental health of the country to be able to have some competition, and to have some, um, some outlet for some joy. Um, it was really important to everybody to make it work. Yeah, I think that's, that's a, a great point to bring up. I think on, on all the teams we've worked with, the best teams, that, that accountability to each other is really uh, kind of a red thread you see among the best teams. But you mentioned a little bit about the impact, the lasting impacts, which is our next question. So uh, our reader asked specifically about lung damage, but uh, I've heard COVID-19 can do lasting damage. How do infected athletes recover and how do you monitor that, those long-term effects? Well, we certainly only know what we know, and we've only, you know, been studying this and been able to read about it for about a year. So, you know, I'm sure there's a lot that we don't know. However, COVID-19 creates some circulation issues, and there's, you know, microclots that form in the blood, and so those can end up anywhere. You know, it could end up in your ears, it could end up in, in your nerves, it could end up in your heart, your lungs, you know, and, and that's where it's going to cause problems. Anytime you have a you know, some blood flow restricted, those tissues are going to not be able to get the nutrients that they, they, they require. And so there's going to be some damage. The heart is the most common place and the lungs. And so there's, you know, that's, that's something that we really need to look for. Uh, because we know that, uh, the athletes are monitored very closely. So um, anyone who's had COVID and is returning is going to have, you know, they're going to see a cardiologist and they're going to make sure that they get follow-up from that and be able to, to track it. Sometimes they're not seeing the heart damage until two to three months after the, the patient had COVID. And so that's where the, the follow-up comes in and making sure that we're just really doing our due diligence. Like I said before, you know, the support staff's job is to, to ensure the resilience of the athlete and that their careers are going to be long. So if we're not paying attention to those things, then that's a, that's a big problem. We definitely um, look at 
nutrients, they're fueling, making sure they're recovering, getting their energy back. We watch what their muscle tissue is doing and if they're able to rebuild muscle, then we know that that's going to be a good thing. The new tracking systems, you know, where you can look at heart rate variability and you can look at, you know, pulse ox even, you know, with the iPhone now. So you can, we can track all of that stuff pretty well. Yeah. And I think, I think it's great that, you know, some of the the resources we've had at the highest level of athletes are being more approachable to the to the everyday person, the, the kind of active amateur, as I call them. But uh, that kind of leads to our next question. So our, our reader asks, uh, I'm not going to the gym until it's safer. How should I dial back my diet to not lose my gains and everything? Well, this is a super common question that I've gotten over the last few months. I think my favorite answer to this is that you just need to adjust your energy for what you're expending. Like just because you're not going to the gym doesn't mean you're not expending energy. You can do a lot of things at home without even any equipment and to continue moving is very important. Um, you know, making sure that your blood flow is good, making sure you have good energy balance. And um, so let's break that down for a second. What energy balance means is that you're taking in the energy that your body requires for that day. Energy balance changes, right? So if I'm training for a marathon, my energy balance might be to consume 4,000 calories one day, and it might be to consume 2,000 calories another day. It's just really, it's intuitive. You can understand how you need to adjust your energy intake. Now, what people fail to realize is that your protein needs don't really change day to day, and your fat needs don't really change day to day. It's more your carbohydrates, so you're just adjusting that carbohydrate. You should never have less than a two to one ratio, two grams of carbohydrate to one gram of protein, because then you're not allowing your body to fuel good recovery and just good maintenance. You're going to lose a ton of muscle mass that way. Anytime you're losing weight, you're probably losing 25% muscle. So you need to make sure that you're kind of keeping that in check. The more you can protect yourself by eating the right amount of protein and only adjusting your carbohydrate, the more muscle you'll be able to, to reserve or to, to maintain during that time. So the shorter answer to that question is that you just scale back your portion sizes and look at, um, you know, if you, if you were to imagine a plate, um, you can imagine like your Thanksgiving size plate, or you can imagine your, um, you know, tiny toddler plate and you're just going to keep your portion sizes you keep your protein the same amount and then you're just going to scale back percentage wise like a you know like a pie chart from elementary school um, you'll scale back your carbohydrate choices and increase your vegetable choices and that way you can stay full you can stay happy with in a good mood maintain your muscle mass and still maintain your weight where you want it to be Sure. And I think uh, we always promote uh, at Thorne a, a one size fits one approach. So uh, <laughs> yes. knowing knowing that uh, what works for somebody else may not work for yeah. you. I mean, I think that's a I've great never, call out. I've never heard that, Joel. That's a, great, that's a great way to say it. Everyone wants to do what some fitness model is doing or what this other person is doing. And I laugh all the time. People will be like, wow, you know, like, you look great. Like, what do you do? You know, and I'll be, you know, you're a mother of three. And I'm like, yeah, I had my kids super early. <laughs> And I have great genetics. <laughs> like I do some, I do some really not smart things, but what one person does is not going to work for everybody. But 
you know, finding what's going to work for you is important. The biggest part of that is sustainability, right? You can't jump from diet to diet and expect to get results. You have to be consistent. You know, having habits that you do the same thing every day are what lead to transformation. You know, you can't just give up your game plan two days in. Yeah. And I think you touched a little bit about kind of the science technology coming to that kind of average person. So I think that's where, you know, us as practitioners, we we lean on data and feedback and, you know, client feedback to, to really get to that one size fits one. So just kind of reminded to our, our listeners that that is what a healthcare practitioner is from a registered dietitian to your healthcare practitioner. You know, they're there to guide you and, and make sure you don't have to do it alone because, you know, at Becky and I, it's our full-time job to keep on top of it. And it's a lot for us, right? So that's where, you know, we, we like to... Uh, Lean on the, the experts. With that being said, you are a wealth of information. You're one of my favorite people in the industry. Where can our <laughs> listeners so. follow you and continue to get your your access to your knowledge? Well, let's see. On on Instagram, I'm at Rebuild Sports RD. So the I do have a side company that I have, RebuildNutrition.com. It's kind of the culmination of 12 years of work with recovery to try to help athletes get better faster. And over the last year, we've really seen the importance for everyone to eat like an athlete and to feel like an athlete. And so if you're going in for surgery or you have some type of an injury, we have a system that we give to the athletes um, that we can, it's basically like, you know, plug and play. We send you a box and it has all the instructions in there. And then you get to get to start your fueling process to recover. So rebuildnutrition.com or at rebuild sports RD. Yeah, that's such an important topic. And I think it, it's it's one that deserves a little bit more in-depth conversation. So we're going to have to have you back for a second podcast and, and dig a little bit deeper into nutrition for uh, injury and recovery. I would love that. It's a huge passion of mine. So I'd love to share share some knowledge. That's all the time we have. Becky, thanks for joining us. And thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Thorn Podcast Performance Edition. Make sure to never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on your podcast app of choice. You can also learn more about the topics we discussed by visiting thorn.com and checking out the latest news, videos, and stories on Thorn's Take 5 Daily blog. For this Performance Edition of the Thorn Podcast, I'm Joel Totoro, reminding everyone to stay active and stay hydrated.